and served as an APS Congregational Science Fellow and visiting scientist with Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, before undertaking her current role as Chief of the Exoplanets and Stellar Astrophysics Laboratory in the Astrophysics Science Division at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. She served at served ASA as the program chair of the 2001 annual meeting at Colorado Christian University on astronomy and cosmology, and currently is in her second year on the ASA Executive Council. And the title of her presentation is Women Looking Up, Uplifting Women Who Study the Heavens and the Earth. So would you join me in welcoming Jennifer Wiseman. Okay, good morning. Um, can you hear me? Is this uh, working properly and all that stuff? Very good. Okay, I'm glad to be here today. And, and uh, the title is uh, intentionally a little ambiguous because um, uplifting can be seen as, as an adjective describing uh, what I hope are the characteristics of, of many women who are studying the heavens and the earth. Um, and it can also be seen as, as a verb. How do we uplift women who study the heavens and the earth? And you see, I'm trying to be inclusive here because really I just study the heavens, but I try to put the earth in too to include all the other science going on here. So um, there is a Chinese proverb that, uh, that I like that's called, that says women hold up half the sky. So... Um, you know, it's not particularly Christian theology, but uh, it gives you a little food for thought there. Let me just start out a little bit by mentioning some of the, uh, the, the women who have studied astronomy throughout history. We don't know about too many because most women throughout history haven't had the chance to be professional astronomers and to study and, and uh, write and be recognized and this kind of thing. Uh, most probably most of the astronomy done by women throughout history is the same as most of the astronomy done by most men throughout history, which is going out on a dark night while you're tending your sheep or whatever and being able to see the night sky and be absolutely amazed by what you see there. But there are a few uh, that uh, just to, to, uh, to uh, let you know of some, some famous names in the field. Um, one of the most uh, uh, famous for historians is Hypatia from Alexandria in about the 4th or 5th century AD, who is often hailed as the first female scholarly astronomer. Um, she was, in fact, a highly respected scholar of the day and in the society of that day. And she was trained by her father, who was also a very highly respected scholar of the day. As far as I understand, they were not Christians, but they were highly respected in this, uh, in this community, and the story is very interesting, and so I encourage you to read all about her and find out how she was dragged off and, and murdered in a most horrific way. Um, Caroline Herschel, as we move forward quite a few centuries, uh, was a wonderful uh, woman comet discoverer and uh, worked with her brother uh, as, as his partner and assistant in astronomy and also, besides the comments, did a lot of work in star cluster catalogs. Um, Annie Jump Cannon uh, has been recognized as being a tremendous uh, classifier of stars. And in fact, now in 
the American Astronomical Society, there's a named fellowship called the Annie Jump Cannon Fellowship for young female astronomers who are going into the field and making good contributions. Uh, Cecilia Payne-Kaposchkin was the first Harvard PhD in astronomy, and note that it doesn't say the first Harvard female PhD in astronomy, it says the first Harvard PhD in astronomy. She did fabulous work, and there was a period of time at Harvard College Observatory when women were hired, brought in and hired to do much of the data processing, much of it was very tedious, studying these photographic plates and so forth uh, for stars, classifying them, cataloging them, and these uh, women earned respect in their own right uh, being paid to do this kind of tedious data analysis, but often finding uh, unbelievable discoveries by looking so closely at the data. One of these women was um, Henrietta uh, Levitt, who is known best for discovering that a certain type of variable star, Cepheid variables, varied directly in relation to how bright their average brightness was. And so why does this matter? Well, this is important because it helps us set the distance scale. For astronomers, it's very hard to see, uh, to figure out that third dimension of distance. How far away is that star? How far away is that galaxy? We know it's brighter or dimmer, but is that because it's just closer or is it intrinsically brighter? She found out that you could figure out how bright it intrinsically is by just measuring the period of, of variation of this particular type of star. And then if you know how bright something intrinsically is, and then you measure how bright it appears to be, you can then uh, calculate how far away from you it must be. Like looking at dim headlights on the highway, you can guess how far away that car is coming towards you because you have a pretty good idea of how bright headlights would be if you were standing right in front of a car. So she discovered this relationship, and that helps us even today to gauge the distance of other galaxies by finding particular uh, Cepheid variable stars in those galaxies and measuring their periods, knowing how bright they then must be, and then measuring how bright they appear to be, and that tells us the distance to these galaxies. Mariah Mitchell, and that is how she pronounced her name, uh, was the first female professor of astronomy in the U.S. I believe that was at Vassar College. She uh, did much of her work on the island of Nantucket, and there's now an observatory named out there for her. And just to move on into to more recent times, uh, Vera Rubin is, is an example of sort of the current generation, although she's, she's very senior now, of very accomplished women astronomers. And in, in Vera's case, she is uh, truly um, accomplished and revered for many things, but mainly for finding out that galaxies, the rotations of galaxies, as you measure how fast stars are, and gas are rotating around the galaxy, that indicates how much mass is within that rotation orbit in the galaxy. And she discovered that, that the, the rotation rates of stars in the galaxy indicated that there was a lot more mass in these galaxies than we actually see with our telescopes. And that's a prime indicator of dark matter. It's a discovery, in fact, of the fact that we don't know what much of the matter is. We don't know what it is. It's dark matter. So this is just a little sample. And I just wanted to, to mention that it appears, as you look at the, that the women who have had the chance to study astronomy, that women study astronomy uh, for what I would assume is, is, is largely the same reason that men study astronomy, because of an intrinsic wonder and curiosity about the universe. I might add just a little bit more to that. It seems like in, in current days, 
more women astronomers than men also tend to, and I think this goes throughout the other sciences as well, tend to apply their, um, their love of science to concerns for social, uh, the social use of that science and implications of that science and outreach. So for example, when I served on Capitol Hill as a congressional fellow, science fellow, about 50% at least of, of the congressional science fellows and policy fellows that were being sponsored by the American Association for the Advancement of Science were women, whereas that's not the percentage of women in science in general today. So it's a higher percentage. Okay, so here's just a couple of pictures I, I found of some of these uh, women. There's uh, Carolyn Herschel on the left and, and Henrietta Leavitt on the right. And again, uh, uh, Henrietta Leavitt was the woman who discovered that fabulous distance relationship for variable stars at the Harvard College Observatory. I want to focus, uh, this talk was a little challenging because I couldn't quite figure out, you know, it, it, to talk about women in science or more specifically women in astronomy or Christian women in science or Christian women in astronomy and, you know, all these various uh, permutations give you a slightly different focus. So much of what I'm going to say from here forward uh, uh, applies to women in all sciences in general, or many sciences, and, and that should lead into the rest of the discussion for the day. So I'm hoping with this talk to kind of set some of the background for us that will help us in the rest of the day's discussion. Uh, women have faced challenges in the scientific profession. The first one is just getting into it, of course, and as I mentioned earlier, it really is a rather recent um, um, phenomenon that women are able in some countries to, to actually be professionally employed as scientists, and, and I think that's a wonderful blessing for us all. But Women have had trouble until very recently in many cases. And for example, in astronomy, even up until the 1970s, uh, some of the astronomical observatories would not allow women to stay there overnight to do their work. I mean, after all, where would they go to the bathroom? You know, things like that. So, uh, so you know, there were rules like that that would just absolutely preclude someone from doing top-notch research. You know, for an, for an astronomer, observatory is the laboratory. You can't do your research if you can't have access to it, things like that. And challenges just getting hired, getting thought of equally, getting accepted, uh, getting tenured, getting credit for their work, so forth and so on. This is a, a, a list of professional challenges that, that women have faced uh, um, throughout time and even in recent uh, periods. On the other hand, there are lots of open doors and opportunities for women in astronomy and other sciences today. And I credit this um, to the pioneering work and groundbreaking of a lot of women and men who, who went through very difficult groundbreaking uh, to get us to this point where by the time I came along, I really faced um, no incidences that I know of, of feeling any sense of, of gender discrimination. And in fact, I felt a lot of encouragement all the way along in terms of overt things. We're going to talk about some of the more subtle things. But I, you know, a lot of times uh, we as Christians don't, don't uh, often, be, aren't very appreciative in some ways of the feminist movements uh, throughout history. But some of them, I believe, were actually very much Christian movements. And, and, and some of this I'm very grateful for. 
Okay, so what is the situation for women astronomers? And again, I want to make this more general, women scientists in general today. So first I'm going to just tell you about some of the general status of women in astronomy, but I think, as I, as I mentioned, it will, it will apply to all the sciences. And then I'm going to go more specifically into what Christian women uh, are, are facing, some of their situations. I thought one way of introducing this is to show you something that appeared as the result of a meeting in 1992 at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore. It was a meeting to discuss the, the climate for women professional astronomers and what could be done to improve it. And the outcome of that meeting was something called the Baltimore Charter for Women in Astronomy. And this charter is still taken very seriously and has been, in fact, updated to, for, by academic and, and research institutions in this country. Um, I'm not going to go through all of it. I, I, I've put the entire charter here, and so I'm just going to point out a few things just to kind of uh, uh, point out some of the th conclusions that this group wanted to emphasize. Uh, holding fundamental that women and men are equally capable of doing excellent science, and that diversity in the scientific community contributes to rather than conflicts with excellence in science. In other words, by opening doors for people that may not look or even act like the, the, some of the, the traditional big names in the field, you're actually improving excellence in the field rather than conflicting uh, with it. Um, that the current recruitment, training, evaluation, and award systems often prevent the equal participation of, of women. And thought and action are necessary to ensure equal participation for all. In other words, you have to actually thoughtfully make some changes or things won't change. Okay, so just some of the details. I won't go through all these, but some of the recommendations that came out of this charter um, are that you, know, you, you try very hard to make sure that candidates for jobs uh, are all looking at the same standards that women are participating in the selection process for jobs, uh, that women are on the short list of, of jobs, that women are considered in every, you know, for, so it's a kind of a, a balance. You don't, want a, you don't want women to be chosen just because they are female, but what you want is, is, is qualified women in the pool for consideration for jobs or for giving talks and awards because these things feed on each other. If you're not given the chance to give public talks, then you're not seen as a good job candidate. You're not even thought of. You know, these things are like dominant. Okay, so, and then it says, you know, this, the, the, uh, the criteria used in these things, these assignments, promotions, and awards should be broadened in recognition, in recognition of different pacing of careers. Women are often have a different sort of timeline for their career, especially if they, uh, during the early part of their career, uh, take some time to, to raise a family or something, are they forever penalized for doing this? Okay, uh, some of the other uh, uh, recommendations, strong action to end and prevent sexual harassment, uh, make sure that the language used in the classroom is, is inclusive, physical safety, um, that people in leadership, department heads, policy committee chairs uh, work very hard to include the full participation of women. Um, 
an environment that allows full range of intellectual style and so that you know the different ways that women may communicate would be accepted into the academy here's the list of signatories these are many of these are very famous names in my field okay so there's more issues even beyond the Baltimore Charter. One of the most profound for women in science is something we call the two-body problem, which is, you know, how do you, you know, if, if, if a woman scientist is, is married, it's typically to another male professional. How do you um, hire a, a prominent woman scientist if, um, if she's got a prominent a professional husband somewhere, can you provide a, a, an attractive job situation that might bring both of them in and are academic departments equipped to facilitate two, a, a double hire perhaps? Uh, I think that's opening up a little bit more now, but just a recognition that, for example, in the physics world, 45% of married female physicists are married to another physicist. Only 6% of married male physicists are married to a physicist. So, you know... I believe that's in, you know, I would have to check. I was going to say the U.S., but I'm not, I'm not completely sure. Obviously, this issue varies greatly from country to country and culture to culture. Okay. All right, let's move more, uh, more to specifically about Christian women astronomers today. Um, a, a substantial number, still a minority, but a, 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 you know, I can't get hard numbers on these things, but one way I gauge this is by looking on our own little email network that we have of Christian astronomers, most of whom are in the U.S. There are a few outside, but most of this is a, a U.S. statistic here. A substantial minority, about 30 out of 150 on, on our list, are women. And that's similar to the fraction of women astronomers in general. And, of course, we need to realize that women in astronomy uh, are similar to some other science fields in that the, the, the fraction of women who are graduate students can be almost 50%, 40 to 50%. As you move up to the postdoctoral level, it's about 40%. As you move up to the junior faculty level, it's you know, 25 or 30%. As you move up to tenured faculty, it's, it's something like 10, 10 to 15%. So that retention is a hard thing, and, and we don't see a lot of changes in that. So, but anyway, back to the Christian women. Is there anything unique about the opportunities and challenges that Christian women face? Um, I think that there is true. Um, here's some of us, just to give you some pictures. That's Gladys Kober. She's been here at ASA meetings before and has given posters on Sunday school classes she has come up with for science, teaching science in church. That's uh, Debbie Harsma. Debbie and her husband, Laura, uh, Lauren, have been tremendous leaders in the field. They are professors at Calvin College and uh, have re recently authored a book on origins that is a, a, a tremendous asset to the church. Joan Centrella is an astrophysicist at Goddard Space Flight Center, as, as I am. She spoke at the ASA meeting last year on gravitational waves and is a, is a first-rate scientist. And then there's myself, who's a science manager and researcher at NASA Goddard and also interested in science policy. This is the book that Deb Harsma has, has uh, co-written with Lauren on origin, so that's some of the service that these women are doing. This is Gladys. She does a lot of mission work with science, and, and, and she just went to India to talk about astronomy to kids who live in an orphanage there, so I'll talk more about that tomorrow. 
Okay, so the opportunities are that women have God-given gifts, interests, and talents that need to be nurtured and encouraged and used to bless the church and the whole world, okay? Um, And in fact, women scientists today can sometimes have a better opportunity to be heard even than men by non-believers about faith issues because women don't fit the expected and often very unfair sort of negative religious stereotype for Christians that some of these folks have. This is not fair, but I have noticed that it is in fact true that uh, you know a new voice, a new face can sometimes get people's attention that otherwise would be very closed. And women in some countries, uh, I think in this one too, have more opportunities than ever before to pursue scientific careers. So there are opportunities that we have, and, and, and I believe we need to nurture for, for women. Um, but there are challenges. Uh, Christian women scientists face challenges both at work and in the church, and I'm just going to mention some of these in the next five minutes. Um, the same challenges, first of all, Christian women face those same challenges that all women in science are facing, or that many are that I mentioned in that, that are mentioned in that Baltimore charter, those kinds of issues of being recognized, being promoted in their fields, um, being able to get access to be considered for, for, um, for advancement. These are, you know, sort of the same for, for all women. But Christian women also have the same challenge that Christian men have in science, which is, you know, responding in their, especially in the secular environment, responding when their faith is challenged, being able to to articulate and give a reason for the hope that we have within us. Um, Christian women are often highly expected, both by others and by themselves, to be very nurturing of needy students and colleagues, perhaps to excess. I I, am... I've sent out an email to this Christian email astronomers list to both the men and women on the list to ask them if they had any any thoughts or anecdotes about the talk I was going to give today. And and, uh, one man responded that he noted that the Christian women around him in his department were, you know, to their credit, were seen by their other departmental faculty members as being, you know, caring and nurturing people. And the students saw it too. It was a good Christian witness. And yet... You know, to some, at some point, you know, you, you can't be the kind of, um, you know, counselor to all and also be a, a top-notch professor uh, uh, um, more so than your colleagues and keep up professionally. So, so and, and the male, apparently some of the, the male uh, faculty, Christian, weren't experiencing quite as much of this kind of expectation. So that was one thing that came up. Of course, there's the family and work balance, juggling and child care. Many mentioned... And I have seen it too that um, one of the most important things for Christian women is to have, if they marry, is to have a Christian spouse that supports her career and her calling, so that you know she's not seen as you know having to deal with the, with juggling the childcare and the home care and the work uh, more so than the spouse. A, a partnership is absolutely critical for her to to succeed and to remain sane. Okay, what about in the church? Christian women scientists um, face some challenges in the church. Again, the same as, as men in the church who are scientists need to know how to respond when science is challenged. So that's something that we, we face, how to increase and improve that dialogue about science and faith within our church. Um, the expectations for women can be stifling, uh, both overt and subtle. 
Um, women are often, uh, especially in, in more uh, traditional congregations, but even in, in all of them actually, are often seen, expected to be the primary child caregivers and even the primary caregivers for aging parents at times in terms of just thinking about it. Even if, even if the spouse is, is equally on hand to, to serve, often she's seen or takes on the role of being the primary organizer of who's going to do what, when, and where, and that, that can be draining. Um, Often the career for women is seen as, as an extra thing, maybe a good thing, but an extra thing and not necessarily a God-given calling. Um, and there's often sometimes women in, in some churches face this kind of expectation that their husband's career is more important. So when the pressures come for the child care or when there's a job offer for one and not for the other or so forth, that it's the woman's career that can be sacrificed. Um, Women are sometimes not trained or even envisioned as leaders, and so they are given sort of no leadership experience in the church um, that they can use in their professional world and vice versa. They, they kind of are expected to be followers and often not called upon to speak or lead. These are very general statements that are not true in all churches and all, but these are just some of the, the anecdotal experiences that, that have been uh, shared with me. Um, women are kind of constantly made gender self-conscious by who does what and where and when and what you can talk about. Women are often not encouraged to sort of think and speak and write about the theology related to their scientific work. Um, if you look, for example, in our own journal, Perspectives, you don't see a lot of articles by women, uh, you know, sort of in that hardcore theology of their science and their faith. Women's groups in the church rarely focus on discussion and prayer for scientific and professional issues. And that's something that, you know, uh, is, is a cultural uh, thing, that women tend to focus more on, on the family issues, which is wonderful, except that women in science need prayer and discussion of our professional challenges and well, as well. These are quotes that I gathered just last week from astronomers on my Christian astronomers email list when I asked about their experiences as, as either experienced or seen by Christian women in, in the field. One woman said, so these are not from me, these are from other women, um, I'd like you, I'd like to encourage you, she's talking to me, to include the issues women face when they are in leadership position in science and find conflicts with church issues about women in leadership. I realize this is delicate territory, but it's also very important. This can be very painful, even devastating. I believe there are women out there who are suffering and not walking in their God-given gifts because of this. And also I think there are women who are not walking with God because of some church attitudes about them. The challenges we face as women in science are not all in the world. They are also in the church as well. This particular woman became a Christian as an adult. She was already a professional scientist. She, loved, she loves God. She loved God when she became a Christian. She was so exuberant that in her secular faculty department, she started a Bible study um, with her fellow faculty. And, some of the, and one of the Christian male faculties told her once that he thought that the men wouldn't come if she was leading it. And she'd never experienced anything like that. She didn't grow up in the church, and she was so distraught that it basically almost threw her off the boat of her faith. But after a lot of prayer and searching, she did heal from that. But, you know, these, these are things that, that hurt very badly. Here's another um, 
quote, being a Christian woman also from another woman, being a Christian woman also contributes to the way I interact with my students. I understand the concept of grace and gentle kindness when my students are going through hard times. I think the very fact that I am female and I'm a Christian makes students more comfortable coming to me for guidance. On the flip side of that, I have some students who look at my look at me and expect automatic forgiveness and leniency because I am a nurturing Christian woman. I sometimes have to teach a student that forgiveness doesn't always remove the consequences of their actions or inactions. Okay, I just have a couple more slides. Okay, sorry, she's telling me to stop. Um, when I deal with my atheistic colleagues, my faith is easily dismissed by them as an emotional female side that's not fully in touch with the more rational side. I've not seen any male Christian colleagues dismissed in this way, but I don't know what other criticisms they may face. And then another point here where, where a woman uh, points out that that having um, uh, feeling isolated in both in the church and the scientific community is, is very hard, and having the ASA address this at a panel a few years ago was real. Or, sorry, having the uh, panel at, at Eastern College a few years ago was helpful. So, and finally, I'll just close with this: the, the, the biggest challenge this other woman faced, unfortunately, comes from other Christian women who are not in science. And I like this. They appreciate when she's presenting to Bible school, Sunday school, and homeschool groups. But then they give me the look when I decline to attend the women's luncheon on Monday because I have to finish a research proposal or when I don't have time for choir because I have to balance time. Um, so this is that. So this is my, yeah, my last slide I was going to show. And I'm sorry I'm over here, but maybe this will set us off for, um, for the rest of the discussion. Is, is just to get us thinking about maybe what could ASA do and one of them is, is what we're doing right now, which is to discuss this issue. And I will, um, let's see if I can get this up one last time. What can ASA do? Um, include women in leadership and speaking roles, not just in token numbers. You know, when you, when you have a science, and this goes for other, other groups as well, when you have a science conference about Christians and science, don't just go to the usual wonderfuls, the polking horns and the, and the others of the world. They're great. But, you know, dig a little deeper and find new faces to come and balance. Women shouldn't be an afterthought of trying to create diversity after you've already got the, the program completely made. That goes for all kinds of conferences. Encourage young women and men to take active roles in the organization. ASA is already doing this or, or, or trying to do this. Set an example to the church and the world of, of diversity and how God gives gifts to male and females. Uh, examine the, the, the participation in writing in our journals and, and try to, to get more diversity there. Encourage men to encourage women. Hold workshops such as this one and um, encourage women to teach and serve. What else? That's the subject for the rest of this conference. I'm sorry I went over, but thank you very much. <laughs>